Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Ask the Industry podcast, episode 136. I'm comedian Simon Kane, and for those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the world of stand-up, comedy, radio, and today, New Zealand comedy. Tim Batt is a comedian, podcaster, and radio host based in New Zealand. I got him on to talk about the history of New Zealand comedy, why he started podcasting and eventually created his own podcast network to get funny humans that he liked to start creating pods of their own. I was out in New Zealand having a nightmare of a situation with an Airbnb run by a racist conspiracy nut, so he kindly let me use his studio, which had all sorts of fun professional sound cue buttons and setups, and I'm a tech nerd, so I love loved looking around his studio and I can't thank him so much for being so accommodating. It does mean that there is a wee bit of sort of like jungle noise in the background that you can hear because we're doing it in his garden where most of New Zealand has sort of bird noise and just just general background noise but it's fine and it's definitely usable but I just thought I would flag that's why it isn't as dead background noise as normal. It was great. It was amazing to learn loads about the city and country that I was travelling in from a local who'd made an impact on the scene, and I hope that you find this useful as well. Before I hit the play button, I just wanted to remind you that if you're new here, please don't forget to hit that subscribe button. If you're old here, please do give us an honest, ideally positive review in iTunes. The iTunes reviews have slowed down recently, and it'd be nice to get a few more in. If you're still in lockdown, I can't think of a reason why you wouldn't have time to just you know log on for a minute, leave a little review, that'd be nice. Uh, and either way, please do join the Facebook group. It's called Ask the Industry Podcast, and it's on Facebook, obviously. It's the best place to get to ask your questions to future guests. But for now, this is Tim Bat. I'm not promising to not hit those buttons but during Nor the record. Nor should you. Because that is... That is um, well, I tell you what, let's let's start with... Because uh, well, you, you were doing perf- comedy before you did podcasting, I yes, believe. Yes, correct. So how long were you doing comedy before you started in podcasting hmm well it's uh <laughs> gonna hit the button then i was like like cover it up with a clap <laughs> <laughs> i did my first ever gig when i was 18 mm-hmm. um my older brother was living with some comedians at the time he was flatting with some some comics in wellington and i basically went to a gig or two at a, a place that's now called the sam fran which used to be called indigo in wellington and i basically went to a raw night saw some people tank 
and went, <laughs> I could definitely do at least as good as the worst person who was on tonight. And then I was sort of wrong in that. I was shocking. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> okay. Terrible. Absolute scenes. And then, and I stopped doing it for years and years and years. And then moved to Australia very briefly, came back to work in radio and started doing it again when I was about 24-ish, something, 23, 24, very like yeah. casually, sporadically. And then after a few years was like, man, I don't want to work in radio. I want to do comedy full time. <laughs> yeah, so I bounced. Know. I really quick story. I did raw when I was in Perth, mm-hmm. not knowing I'm not supposed to do that. I, <laughs> I love it. I, I don't fill any of the. Basically, I applied to do the comedy lounge in yeah. Perth, and they said fill out this Google form, and then they gave me a spot, and I turned up, and I'm in the green room, and these other acts are going, "Oh, it's my first gig or my third gig or whatever." Like for those who don't know, raw is like the new act, like yeah. really well, new. Is is this? Is that the language you use in the UK? Yeah, I've, new act, yeah, yeah. You, do you say raw, though? Do you say raw comedians? Uh, no. Because it's weirdly something that is universal in New Zealand and Australia. We just say it like everyone knows what it is. No. But but now hilarious situations like this happen where you just get up and smash a gig in front of some newbies. Oh, yeah. I So I was second on and I came off and they were like, wow, how long have you been going? And I was like, nearly nine years. <laughs> <laughs> And they were like, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> and I was like, I got booked. And, and it's my first time in Australia. I didn't know. That's so good. Yeah. So in the break, um, the MC pulled me to one side and said, we've had to disqualify you. And oh, I went, so you were in like, not just the night, but the competition. Yeah. Fuck, that's great. Yeah. Man. They said, you're clearly not shit. We've had to disqualify you. And yeah. I was like, well, I'm having that as a quote. <laughs> clearly not shit. That's great. That's excellent. Yeah. So, so uh, you did, you, you, you liked the idea of doing comedy at that point. Like yeah, that, that was cemented in your head. It, yeah, wasn't, got, it wasn't before then. I've got well, uh, I did. I did do. There was a program called Class Comedians, which mm. is still going now. That the New Zealand Comedy Trust runs. Who are the people that um, sort of administer the festival? I'm actually on the board now as a board member. And oh, that's that's perfect. So I was trying to get hold, hold of someone for the New Zealand Comedy Trust for the pod. So oh, this true. is two in one. Perfect. I, can't, I will. I refuse to speak on their behalf. Oh, fuck. I will not do that <laughs> on here. Just because you know it's it's a board. We got to check everything with the, okay. with the chair and that everything's kosher. So I will not speak on their behalf. But I am a member of the board. But uh, the class comedians thing was great because you get established comedians who roll around high schools and basically collect up all the misfits and drama nerds and stuff mm. who have some sort of passing interest in performance, and they take you through um, a few sessions and you do a gig. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So it just kind of removes the sort of nerves and mysticism around what's actually involved with doing stand-up at a really young yeah. age. And you're like, I could do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's that, That's really important for when I started as well. And I think most people, because it looks, people say, oh, it's such a hard job. It's so brave. And as soon as you remove the veneer of it being showbiz, yeah. it, it becomes a lot more accessible. Exactly. I actually, uh, I sort of started doing it because I needed some way to, to top up the amount of money I've got coming in at the moment. <laughs> but it's, I've turned out to really enjoy it. But I'm teaching stand-up now. Oh, really? The um, New Zealand stand-up school, or comedy school rather. It's it's been so interesting to kind of go through that journey after doing stand up. I've probably been doing stand up like in a sort of proper way for like ten years now. Mm-hmm. To go back and revisit because I've only just started doing this and picking apart the jigsaw puzzle and going, oh yeah, this isn't magic. You just got to break down the individual components of it, and then when someone puts it all together on a stage, it looks incredible mm. and, and so unattainable. But really, you can take someone through the components of it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It, it it's 
like anything really it just gets broken down into smaller chunks exactly but if you just look at the hole at the end yeah you know, that sounds mm. Sorry. <laughs> but if you just look at the hole at the end you, yeah. you very much feel uh yeah overwhelmed and totally I, and i think that's that's most people i mean that's my hey. big problem with scripts in particular you know you sit oh, down and yeah. look at like someone who you really love or like a tv show yeah. and you think how did they get to that and you yeah. realize well hang on they've got a team yeah. they've got a channel they've got like you know script notes whereas you're process. just yeah exactly i mean being a pilot you know mm. That looks pretty bloody impressive, but that, oh, yeah. that's just a collection of knowing what to do when the gauge sees this. Oh, definitely, definitely. Well, tell you, let's, so, so you were doing radio, yeah, and and did you did you have? Because I'm wondering if you had a following before you went into podcasting that maybe helped elevate your early podcasts. Mm, not really, no. So, in my trajectory in radio was um, I worked in call centres when I left right. high school. I kind of intended to do university a year earlier than usual for for one reason or another i didn't end up ultimately doing that and i stayed at high school for the full run until what was seventh form in new zealand they've changed the names of it all now it's like year 13 um and as a result i just became so i can swear i fucking disenchanted with (laughs) learning things and the education system i was like balls to university man i'm gonna earn some money and get drunk for a couple of years and so did and I worked at the tax department for um, for two and a half years and then moved to Sydney for a half a year and then came back, went to radio school, but just did the, there's like a short course, a six month version. You can do a three year degree, but I'm like, why would you do that to get into radio? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so did the six month, um, worked on a breakfast show, a nationwide breakfast show, which if, if you sort of don't know, radio is like pretty lucky. Um, it was just, yeah, really good fortune, especially because it was right when the global financial crisis was happening. Oh, really? That's when we all entered the workforce, everyone in my class. So I did it in the second half of 08. Mm. And they were like, hey, getting into radio is pretty hard. And then it was like, hey, getting into radio is impossible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there was, yeah, I just had some good fortune and managed to get on on that show with this former legend of broadcasting in New Zealand who's since passed away, a guy named Kevin Black. Mm. And I worked with him for a year and then we all got made redundant because the GFC just <laughs> yep. crept up the company and eventually came for us. Then I worked at an um, independent station in Wellington, moved back to my hometown and uh, worked with a guy called Ian Stables who... Uh, is, I believe, no longer broadcasting at the moment. And that was a really interesting time. <laughs> okay. Should we br- m- move on from that or you want to... Eh, it was It was just, um, it was It was chaotic. I kind of, you know, in a way I loved it because mm. it was, it felt really like, you know, you're doing something crazy and special. Everyone was getting paid below minimum wage. We were all working 60 hours a week. I started doing full-time study through a like extramural provider mm. just so I could claim the student loan <laughs> living allowance wow. just so I could like live. Yeah. Um, it was hectic as hell, but we were all in that same boat together. So mm. we had this real sense of like camaraderie and felt like we were, we were up against the machine. Mm. There's two big media corporations that own basically all the radio stations in New Zealand. And we were sitting outside that duopoly. So mm. we were like, yeah, we're the, we're the fucking underdog. We're doing it. We're, we're the pirates. Yeah. And then that went belly up <laughs> within a year. And then um, moved to a station called Radio Hauraki, which is in um, in Auckland, broadcasting to the country, and it's like a rock rock radio station, and okay. it was really fun. Got to work with a guy who um, made a TV show that I loved growing up, and uh, yeah, just again through happenstance, got to work with Matt Heath for produced and co-host with him for a couple of years, a couple of three years, and yeah, it was 
sick. So then I just wanted to bail. Yeah. No money in it, man. At least you're famous. Yeah. If you're producing in radio, the pay is terrible. Okay. Right. Well, let's let's. I've got two questions before we move into pay areas because mm. obviously there's loads of issues there within this. But so my experience of local radio in the UK is it is fun to do, but it does not translate to tickets. And so far, my experience of local radio in New Zealand has been fun to do, does translate to tickets, which I find really interesting. It depends where you are. If you're at one of the big stations, mm. absolutely. And it doesn't take a lot to, in New Zealand, look like you're a big deal. Right. You know, like if you're actually, fo- if you've been doing comedy for a couple of years and you're sort of smart about it, you can get yourself in a writer's room for one of our like um, quiz shows or something, you know, comedy quiz shows that we've got or a panel show or, you know, insert yourself if you're a hard worker and stuff into a radio station. And then suddenly you can say on your posters and stuff, you know, Timbat of Radio Hodaki and people go, oh, bloody hell, this guy's legit. Right. So, yeah, I think people are a, a little bit less uh, audience ticket buyers, media literate in that way in New Zealand. We're easily impressed. Okay, so it's marketing more than anything. I think, yeah. Okay. Respect to that. Okay, because I'm, yeah, I was wondering what what was happening there when I when I did the first show last night. There were there are a few expats who used to who are used to watching or listening to Radio Four, and so when they came out here, they were like, "Well, we can't get it anymore. We'll listen to local radio over here," and and that's that was a really like, okay, well, I get that, but you weren't listening to any local radio in England where I was when I was doing it there. So why yeah. here, sort of thing? Yeah. Yeah. So it's in and and you you sort of had played around with the big boys if you like yeah and the money was still terrible <laughs> yeah right well, that's why i quit because i actually i kept sort of asking like hey what you know what do we need to do t- for me to even just know the process of um getting some kpis or whatever to know how to go about getting a pay rise here mm-hmm. and keep getting brushed off so one day i just rocked in with my letter of resignation and said hey man see ya <laughs> and then he freaked out and offered me quite a big pay rise on the spot but um, by that stage, my ego had been bruised. So I was like, nah, fuck y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Double bird and, and bailed. Definitely. Yeah. I'm checking for questions, by the way, if you're wondering. It's just, it, I'm not ignoring you. <laughs> Do whatever you want. I was, I normally Simon's I have my looking at his phone, everyone. The height of podcast rudeness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at questions. Thank you. The ones you probably sent in. Thank you very much for whoever did those. You then went off and I assume started podcasting then. because. So that's a funny story. Okay. Well, I don't know. It's a story. Uh, I'll let you be <laughs> the judge. I'll hit the laughter button yeah, yeah. whenever you want it. Terrible way to start a story, eh? Yeah. Hilarious story. Eh, was it? Exactly. Oh, it's the wrong button. No, that's a pretty good one, actually. I wanted the laughter button. We'll do that one at the end. Okay, fine. And then we can really... No, I'll do the drum this. roll. I'll do the drum beat. Yeah, we was... The, I don't I know. I think it's that was. one. I think they've got to put, like... This is the problem. You've got to label these. Cause... We've got multiple buttons on the board here, folks, and uh, Simon's trying to keep up with... It's like a... You know what it's like? It's like a Simon Says. Oh my God, it the is. the colours and the Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, is well, there anything? Is that a joke? I don't know. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> let me take you back, listener. There the we year go. is 2000 and <laughs> I want to say 11. Mm-hmm. The national broadcast, uh, TV broadcaster here, TVNZ, uh, has made the bold decision to start a youth station called TVNZU, very ahead of its time. They give it no budget to run whatsoever. (laughs) It's literally a bunch of budding comedians in the lobby of the TVNZ building broadcasting (laughs) completely live because that's got the least amount of overheads. 
They've got a device called a TriCaster, which is just a video switcher box that mm. gets a couple of cameras inputs and smashes it out to you know to the world as a channel. And they um, just put the word out to try and get young talent who are hungry to get some TV time and pay them very little to great success. Um, some of the people <laughs> you may re- Rose Matafeo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She kind of got her start. Mm. And what it allowed all of those people who were at the station to do was just clock up all these flight miles in front of the camera. And, you know, it made for a pretty awkward watch at the beginning because none of us knew what we were doing. And then eventually people kind of got used to um, how you address a camera. They had a lot of social media interaction, like way before really any other major TV stations here. Um, In a lot of ways, they were really ahead of the curve and maybe like too far ahead. It only existed for a couple of years and then they shut the station down to try and save money, which like to this day, I think is the stupidest move a broadcaster has done in New Zealand. Anyway... There's too much context, but Guy Montgomery, who uh, he and I have been podcasting together the whole time, so he's the other half of The Worst Idea of All Time, which is our, our big comedy podcast. He was one of the hosts on there, on the, the late night slot, and he just had, I think it was two hours, he and his mate Tim Lamborn, to fill every weeknight, which is a long freaking time. They could throw to the odd music video, they had little like 20 minute TV shows that they were forced to play because it was part of the package deal that... TVNZ put like the good shows on too, but they also had to broadcast these shit reality shows somewhere else. So they got lumped with that. And they just put the word out and went, hey, does anyone have any semblance of an idea for a segment or something they want to do to fill up time? Come in and do it. So on a Monday, I would come in and do the Lou review where I would review public restrooms around Auckland. And Guy and I immediately, I'd never met him before, I don't think, maybe once at a party or something, but we hit it off immediately and developed this fantastic comedy dynamic that was super antagonistic on air. Mm. Like seconds before we went live on the first episode, he just kind of leaned into my ear and said, hey, just so you know, man, I'm going to like rip the shit out of you. And I was like, go for gold, dude. Let's have some fun. We developed this whole character piece around how my character, the Lou Reveal, was like, his life just got worse every episode, but he didn't want to focus on it. But like I came in in shabbier clothes each time, you know, my wife left me, I was homeless by the end of the run. Um, but I was just really committed on this public service announcement of reviewing toilets and people got really invested in like the storyline that guy and I were creating. So when the station went away, we really just wanted to keep working together somehow came up with the idea of doing a podcast and everyone was doing movie review podcasts. So we said, what's a twist on that? We'll do a movie review podcast, but the movie will never change. We'll just keep reviewing the same movie. And that's what the worst idea of all time was and is. Um, we selected Grown Ups 2, which is a very lowly ranked Adam Sandler <laughs> ensemble comedy piece. I think it's got like 6% on Rotten Tomatoes. And so we started, and then at about week three, we went, we've got to have an end point yeah. in sight, or else we're going to go nuts. So yeah. we decided to do it for a year, and mm. that's how everything kicked off. Yeah, I be- 10 million downloads? Yeah, yeah. It's probably, like, I haven't done the math recently, but I think it's likely over 12 million total downloads now. 12 minutes. So, so what got that moving? What was, like, the, the impetus to get people to listen? Like, you said they were all doing movies. Well, let's start with that. They're all doing movie reviews around here. Because in England, the big thing was comedians interviewing comedians. 
Gotcha. So here, why was everyone doing movie reviews? Well, what no was the one, appeal? This isn't New Zealand I'm talking about. I'm mainly talking about American podcasts. We did. We oh, right. We okay. weren't making podcasts then in New Zealand. Right. We're not making a huge amount now, I don't uh, think. Yeah. We're not that, like, you know, making waves. Mm. So I was mainly looking at, yeah, the, the main one that I listened to really early on was How Did This Get Made? Um, oh, I know of that one. Yeah, yeah. Paul Shear and uh, Jason Manzoukas mm-hmm. and uh, June Diane Rayfield. Raphael? I've got her last name wrong. Apologies, June. I'm sure she's listening to this. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> she's a big movie star now. Um, so, I yeah, I listened to that and that was definitely inspiration for the worst idea. And then, so what happened is... Some, they're part of Airwolf, which is a mm-hmm. podcast network in the States, comedy network. Yep. Someone on their forums found out about the worst idea and just posted something. And Paul Shear read that out loud on a mini episode of How Did This Get Made, which has got like hundreds of thousands of mm-hmm. listeners. And that tiny little mention mm-hmm. on the mini episode sent just enough people to go and investigate what we were up to that that kind of triggered off everything. And then we got like... A, um, a, a sort of long form piece uh, on vice.com mm-hmm. um, that then just kind of exploded the thing quite early on. So that's, yeah. I mean, I've found, I actually had the Earwolf Network on this podcast uh, a little while ago. Oh, sick. And what was interesting, because I'm, I'm starting my own podcast network, which is something we'll get to because I know you run one as well. Mm. Uh, and what was interesting for me was they said, you know, we've bought billboards for our podcast before, you know, they've cost us tens of thousands of pounds doesn't get anything nah. but if you if you ask one of your podcasters who like a pod to just mention it that leads to actual downloads because it's easier to explain to someone who already knows what a podcast is of course what another podcast is of course than than having to put and i was like when what you do say you it like that on a billboard as well a- it's like okay so podcasts are kind of like radio shows first you got to download the set yeah. secondly here's why the show is good you got to subscribe yeah. to it it's like fuck that i know i was like what have you put like step-by-step guides on like massive but bu- and who's doing that when they're driving exactly. like it's not happening yeah so I, I said when you put it like that why have you wasted your own money yeah in in billboards and and they said oh we had like a tv spot on like a really big like um uh, sports game in America, and I'm like, again, what were you expecting? Because that's just so stupid. It so is that, classic LA logic. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they got some sort of tax <laughs> cover. Yeah, for it or yeah, quite yeah. possible. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hollywood accounting, definitely. So, so you get this boost of downloads, hmm. which obviously gives you a boost to want to carry on the project. I assume. Totally. Yeah. Do you know what though? And I, I guy and I have mentioned this often. It's absolutely true. We, for the first three, four months, were doing it to essentially no one, just our friends, <laughs> yep. and we would have done it for the year because, I, and I think this has been a big component of the podcast, the listeners do keep us going season to season, but we are completely set on fulfilling the very stupid ideas that we've put out into the world. Like keeping that incredibly dumb, pointless promise mm. is the whole point. It's like, no one is forcing you guys to do this. Mm. It's so fucking stupid. Why don't you stop? And it's like, exactly. Yes. <laughs> it's That's why it. we do it. Yeah. That's why it's funny. Exactly. I uh, Who was it? It was the Dave TV Commission. I don't, I don't know if you know Dave in the UK. Loosely. That's, it's quite a like sort of fast and loose comedy channel. Is yeah. 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 Where he, the commissioner said to me, you know what your biggest problem and strength is? And I went, this will be fucking good. Go ahead. He said, you never know when to quit with an idea. And when you think you need to, you go for You carry on. <laughs> and I was like, I'll fucking take that. That's absolutely... Because yeah. it's true. Like, I'm the same. If I if I start an idea, 
it's a five-year idea. It's not, I, right. what's the point in doing three months on, I mean, test it out if it's something really small, but sure. generally with a podcast, I go, could I make, let's say, 400 of these? Awesome. And if I can, that's, fucking make it 400. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. There's really, especially in a comedy context, there's yeah. a lot to be said for that. Mm. There's, go on. Well, it's kind of different. It's different for different reasons with yep. you and I. Like, with Worst Idea, the needless repetition is, mm. is, is an absurd kind of comedy mm. but i feel like the way you're approaching it is more like if there is a good framework that you can keep replenishing over 400 episodes then you know listeners will follow that journey and hopefully that's also true. hopefully yeah <laughs> no i know what you mean i i think uh so so when it comes to to doing the worst idea in the worst idea in the world mm. i've got that right worst idea that of all time of all time sorry we called yeah. it that the first few episodes so we couldn't even remember so. fair enough <laughs> um were you looking at doing other podcasts at the time? Were you, what, what happened? How did you get to the the network? Essentially, um, well, definitely off the strength. Yeah, it was off the strength of the worst idea of all time and how that was performing. And what it boiled down to was, I was just it was things like going into TVNZU, doing a bit of stand up in Auckland, and I just knew that I was surrounded by these incredibly funny people who people didn't know about yet. And I kind of like, I was like, these guys are going to be freaking superstars within a few years. How do I insert myself in the middle of mm. them? And how do I kind of like use my geek? Because no I love computers and hardware and the internet and that kind of shit. So how do I sort of leverage my nerddom <laughs> into helping these people get introduced to the world? And also, you know, it's not like it's totally altruistic. How do I kind of connect myself with them early mm -hmm. on as well? And so the podcast network was was what it was all about. It was just about enabling people who I knew were sensationally funny to get in front of a microphone and and put that out into the world. Totally. And and so before you started that network, were you making money from your podcast? Like, were you no. trying to get on Airwolf? Were you trying to? We we actually we met with Airwolf, and we um we actually did sell at one point the first season of the worst idea of all time to mm. Airwolf. Um, which, uh, so that sat behind a paywall, mm. and we did it out of sheer desperation. We really needed the money at the time, <laughs> and and they were a cool company. Mm. Um, and I mean they make some of our favorite shows. Yeah, same. So that was really like flattering and awesome. After that contract ended, because I think it was a year long, might have been two, I think it was one, we kind of, Guy and I made the decision that we really just, that wasn't our style. It's not how we want to engage with our audience. We don't want to, to wall off our content. I want it to be accessible to everyone, you know? Because mm -hmm. I think for like a few reasons, number one, it's just you get a broader audience, mm -hmm. which is what you want. And especially, you know, cynically for things like ticket sales, when we're doing stand up mm -hmm. and that, you want as many people to know about you as possible. Mm -hmm. But just it's honestly, it's more of an ethos of we know a bit about who listens to our podcast. And it's often like really often, actually, we the most common kind of letter we get is that people listen to us when they're having a really hard time in their life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's just such stupid, frivolous dumb comedy what we're mm. doing that it's real escapism <clears throat> for them um and that you know we would i don't want to close this off to people who who could be having a shit time and just need a giggle yeah no i get that totally it's um it's kind of odd because you you're, you're doing a balancing act of i need to get money because yeah. I'm, I'm quite hungry oh yeah you got to pay your rent and yeah. when you're spending you know that amount of time doing it mm. you've only got so many hours in the day oh yeah, yeah. you got to chase down your rent somehow completely but equally 
It's not like stand-up bass fabulously well here. <laughs> <laughs> no, it does not. Um, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, well, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in one sec. So, so are you at this stage, as in, in the timeline of your mm. career, getting paid as well or better than you were when you were at the radio station? Uh, worse, definitely. Okay. And I mean, I was really trying to hustle. Mm. But as you may have experienced with the economics of podcasting, it's a really tricky thing because when you're just a guy, like I'm just a guy who's just helping some mates out who are comedians bring some shows into the world. Mm. And when that's your the scale you're operating at, you can't approach big companies to try and shake them down for advertising dollars because they don't want to talk to you because you don't yeah. have the numbers. You've also got this thing of, with me, most of the audience that they got was in New Zealand, these shows. So, but but it, but then not all of the audiences in New Zealand. So it's also a really hard conversation to go to a New Zealand company who are the most accessible people to talk to and go, hey, I know podcasts are kind of weird, but you should do advertising in them, but also you're paying for your message to go 50% not to New Zealanders mm-hmm. who aren't even your customers. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, I figured out a few little formulas and stuff to come up with an ad rate to try and make that make sense for the advertisers and and we we did have a little bit of success with that there were some companies who were really supportive but it's just a fucking grind yeah it's a fucking grind and you need to be quite big to make it work Mm. and i hate big anything big companies big organizations right don't like them yeah you always become the thing you hate though exactly yeah that's the problem yeah you get compromised yeah i completely empathize with that yeah, I mean, I'm on Acast, which is uh, sort of the a UK issue. Yeah, version. we're on Acast as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Side, yeah. Um, and I find, I mean, last year I think it was a hundred pounds for ads over the whole year I got. But the problem was, was that the guy I was working, this was my fault, not theirs. Mm. The guy I was working with, he he got the, my podcast on because he was on the comedy circuit. Yeah, and sort of said, I love it. Can you, you know, do you want to join? And and we'll take all of them, not just this one. And I went great. So I joined. And then I said to him, but on the condition I can veto ads because yeah. I keep hearing like Betfair ads and really weird yeah, like yeah. stuff that I don't really want on my podcast. Yeah. So he would send me through the ads that we would take, which don't, they don't do anymore. They were doing at the time. They would send me through the ads and I would go, well, I don't want that one. That yeah. one's not applicable. That's not going to be fun. This one doesn't even pay well. Why are we even putting this one? You know, so, yeah. so, so essentially they would be hosting my podcast yeah. and getting maybe one ad a, a month on on you know all the downloads and, yeah. and it would be driving them insane now he left and the next person who took over was just like we're not doing that anymore yeah like we need to make money on yeah, your thing why totally. are we doing it so the, for, yeah for <laughs> listeners who probably you know why would you know this but I, so acast really changed the game for yeah. me in a good way mm-hmm. the way that acast works is they take your podcast and they provide all the hosting which normally costs a monthly fee for yeah. that they say that's on us we've got that and they're like a combined technology platform and advertising company. Mm-hmm. So they automatically insert into your podcast ads from different um, companies that they sell. Really you know, dynamically. Re- yeah. yeah, really impressively. And I think they were the first company to figure out how to... I still don't understand. Yeah. And I tried to figure it out. Yeah. I don't know how they're doing it or how they did it, considering how the podcast technology works. Yeah. It's crazy. It's madness. Black magic. Oh yeah, I, I spoke to them about it on the phone for about an hour because yeah. I'm 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 a techno nerd as well. I did you know a degree in computer science. I was I was sitting there going right. Well, I understand how you'd insert it, but to change it so that like you know because I've started getting ads for Australia, New Zealand when I've been touring. Yeah. On on seasons, so they must be. It's detecting ins- your IP address and dynamically 
inserting ads. They re- yeah, it's like very full impressive. credit to them. It's super impressive. And they, yeah. they legitimately solved a big problem. Oh my God, yes. Because that, as I was just describing before, that kind of geo-spread audience mm-hmm. is such a big issue when you're just a guy trying to sell ad spots. Mm-hmm. But if you can go, only people in Auckland will hear your Auckland University ads, it suddenly makes it worthwhile for everyone. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they really cracked the code on that. But as you say, the flip side of the coin, and this is something that I haven't taken a super active, um, you know, uh, role in is, is looking at all of the inventory that's going out. Because at some point I just need to be like, fuck, man, if, if I can't if I can't get paid for this, I can't keep doing it. And I mm. really want to keep doing it. Yeah. So that's sort of the concession that I've made. Completely. The, the There's a bit of money trickling in, but it's not, like you said, you've got to be huge for it to work. I mean, I've got... A friend of mine, he he's on sort of like fifty or sixty thousand downloads minimum an episode, and he's like, now it's making me reasonable money. Yeah, but I'm still, you know, it's not like I'm Adam Buxton or or yeah, you yeah. know whoever else you or, or what the fuck Mark Maron, you know, yeah, yeah, you know them or who's the other one, Joe Rogan. Rogan they're, the, yeah. they're the three that are actually making like they could stop doing everything else and are making money on this totally. Whereas everyone else is sort of going ten pounds, yay! Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. But there's something kind of cool about that because that mm. won't be the case forever. Like every other medium, it will it will grow up and yeah. professionalize and whatnot. But I but when that happens, I'll fuck off to whatever the next thing is. Yeah, yeah, holographic I, live streaming or something. Ooh. I don't want to be involved in the in in you know the old thing that's gotten shitty. I agreed. <laughs> I don't think I think so. I actually read an article. I think it was on Apple's blog, like you know the the thing they do, which said that there's still less than a million active like as in still uploading podcasts in the world really yeah and i was like a million's a pretty big number but it is still good but you'd hear. think there would be more yeah totally yeah i mean i know at least uh i would say there's at least a million comedians in the world and so you'd think at least what they've got three each what something yeah, like that yeah, yeah. so you'd think there'd be more um no it was it was such an interesting article because it was a breakdown on you know like well what, what like i'll have to find it for you i'll send it through it's yeah, really, please. it was really interesting and i was thinking well that it, maybe it isn't a saturated market. Maybe it mm. is just still kind of finding its feet in yeah. a weird way. Because it's been around for over a decade. It's not... People forget that. Because the first wave... I mean, you had Serial, which was a huge... Yeah, that um, helped. <laughs> yeah, a, a huge cultural phenomenon that brought a lot of people into the medium. But, man, I can't even... I can't remember the years exactly. But the Ricky Gervais podcast mm-hmm. was on, like... Almost 10 years before Serial, I think. Mm-hmm. I remember listening to that in the first flat I lived in. So that would have been 2006. Mm. You know, so that's 14 years ago now. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's. It has been around for a while and it does a bit of a cyclical. Oh, yeah. It's sort of bust sort of thing, but. It reinvents itself and they are always trying. I mean, this is the thing I'll give Apple credit for. They are always trying stuff. They did the whole video podcasting for a while, which obviously didn't. It was the hosting issue, I think. It was too much to host. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, I think, and for people to download a video every it damn time. may well come back once I hope so. we, you know, telecom companies around the world stop being such massive assholes with data caps and prices and speeds and whatnot. Complete. Well, I've found, I don't know if you've done much of this, I've, I put episodes of my podcast on YouTube with just an image. So it's like the audio with the image. Yeah. I d- I ne- that's there's, really helped me. I've got an infinite list of things I should be doing and that's <laughs> on there. Yeah. But we've got such a huge back catalogue yeah. of episodes now that I'd have to set aside like a month to figure that all out. Oh my God, dude. Right. So uh, episode 100, I thought, you know what? It, you know, it's 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 not peaked, but like it's still growing, but it's yep. not growing as fast as it was. 
I need a way for more people to discover this. Yeah. I'm going to go back and do just 10 episodes. Sure. I'm going to pick my 10 most downloaded and do that. Sure. Did those. It went really well in the first month. So I thought, right, I'll do all of them. Yeah. Now, the problem is that, you know, with that, you're going to have shit ones that get no views and ones that go viral and, you know, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. So I put aside two days and just sat there, just export, come back an hour later, export, upload, export, upload, just doing the whole thing. It's really benefited me now, but I tell everyone, if you're going to do it, start from the start. Do not like, you know, yeah. make it make it part of your upload schedule or something. Oh, yeah, like build yeah. it into your production yeah. process from day one. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. it, it's not, like you said, if you've got like 200, 300 episodes going back, it's yeah. not worth your time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, okay, so let's talk about your podcast network. You're, you're with Acast as, as it is. It's like a platform. A platform. And, and they, um, like, honestly, total godsend in terms mm-hmm. of what they could do to bring that ad revenue in without me having to dedicate time to chase down 30 bucks from some New Zealand you know, mattress company or some shit. Completely, completely. So fantastic. So they, they deal with the hosting and the ad side of things. So, um, yeah. So the podcast network as it stands is just, it's, it's, I mean, realistically, it's my ability to go, Hey, I've got recording gear, a studio, um, an editing computer, some time, a lot of knowledge to bring this into the world as a podcast. And so it's just about kind of approaching people and being like, if you, you know, if you want to do a show and, and, you know, I think there's value in the idea, um, then yes. And basically the two criteria that I've used to, I'm, I don't have a ton of time at the moment, so I haven't been doing a lot of new shows, but sort of up until now, the, the two criteria were, is it either going to be potentially quite massive or like, is it kind of important that it gets out there in the world? And they're so far, I, I think this is safe to say, they've all been comedy podcasts. They've got certain bents to them. But like I, I early on was really big on looking for female presented podcasts because this was a medium which was an absolute sausage fest mm-hmm. up until quite recently. Yeah. So I really wanted to bring more female voices into the medium. Um, so yeah, did, did some shows that did that. Um, best example uh, is probably Boners of the Heart, which is Rose Medifeo and... Alice Sneddon, who record frustratingly sporadically. It's <laughs> very annoying. But the show is is like one of my favorite podcast shows mm. ever. Yeah. It's so funny. It's I, I'm wondering, okay, so podcast network wise, you said that there's not a lot of that happening in New Zealand. I mean, my as an outsider experience, I mean, the UK like like we joked about a second ago, everyone it feels like has a podcast or feels mm. like they need to have a podcast, which I don't think you need to have one. I just think you know, yeah. come up with a good idea and then make one. You should do it. You should do it for fun. Yeah. You should not be doing it for profit. I yeah. Think. Oh, comp- it's not a medium that lends itself to, to no, products. definitely. Um. So so, are, is there a big scene out here for podcasting? Is there a I, lot? I think there probably is. I am okay. not a great dude for having a, a like a good grip on any particular industry really i right. spread myself pretty thin because i've got a short attention span right. so i'm constantly just sprinting around starting new projects i shouldn't be and trying desperately to finish something that there's a deadline coming up so i i, I probably am not well placed to have a big holistic um viewpoint on, on where everything's at in new zealand but the the sense i get is that definitely comedians make a lot of podcasts here um our national radio um Radio New Zealand, who's like the government um, broadcaster, they make some really great high quality ones. Um, and and I'm sure that there's lots of great podcasts that are getting made here that I just don't know about. Mm. But they're not super visible on sort of the international stage, mm-hmm. I would say. 
Okay. Yeah. No. I I think it's I think it's really weird that that's the case. Yeah. I think it's New Zealand is shirking this as time goes on, which is good. But we've got a real chip on our chip on our shoulder um, that historically we've always had, where it's like, oh yeah, but we're New Zealand. Right. Especially with comedy and entertainment. It's like, yeah, we're good for New Zealand. Like, this person oh. is a funny comedian for New Zealand. But, like, it's not like they could do anything in America or Britain. And it really, Flight of the Concords is my generation's big example of that. Um, mm. Just getting smashed to pieces, that belief. Mm. And it's it's pretty amazing, really, like, the, the, the cultural impact of being a comedian and having seen flight of the concords do as well as it did internationally and realize oh maybe we're just funny it's not mm. funny for new zealand mm. we're actually our comedians are good and as time's gone on guy and i've gone over um in two of the states a number of times now doing live shows podcasts over there and we do stand up over there and i remember the first time going over there to los angeles and totally having that belief of like this isn't going to work because mm. we're New Zealanders. Mm. It's not going to translate. And, and, and it totally did. I was completely wrong. And I was like, oh, we're actually like funny for humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not just for Kiwis. So I, I think that's, I mean, I, I didn't find that, I'm doing Australia and New Zealand, and I didn't find as much of that in Australia. And I've never really found that in the UK. And like, like, I mean, I've, I found it a little bit in, Euro, in place in Europe. Mm-hmm. And sometimes in Ireland, a few people are like, oh, they're smashing Ireland. Yeah. And it's sort of like, well, that means surely they would smash England. Like, go over there and do that. So, do you, where do you think that's come from? Where do you think that sort of perception is? We're a modest people. Right, okay. Like, and, and there's a thing that gets talked about a lot in New Zealand, part of the Kiwi psyche, which is tall poppy syndrome, where it's like, if anyone really exerts themselves up above the rest of Kiwis and goes, actually, you know, I'm doing quite well, or I'm really trying hard, or I'm, I'm pretty good at this thing, um historically we tend to chop them down and, and tell them that they're being egotistical and, and they should fucking pull their socks up and get back in the back in the paddock. <laughs> <laughs> so is that, w- w- when Flight of the Concords got big, was that happening? Were people going, oh, but they're not? No, because here's the interesting thing. So like Flight of the Concords tried to get their show made in New Zealand with TVNZ and, well, probably with everyone um, who they could get a meeting with. And there is a... I've seen it. There's, there's, there's a pilot, which was this... I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about it, but I will, because it's funny. <laughs> so you see behind you, Simon, there's a book called Funny Airs. Yeah. That came out last year, and that's um, a, a chronicle of the history of New Zealand comedy, going right back from, like, World War One to today. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, the, sky, the majority of the work was done by this guy, Paul Horan, who lives in Australia now, but he's been involved in the scene for, you know, his entire life. Yeah. And... Um, uh, where was I going with that? So Flight of the Concords tried to get a show made here and they had smashed it at the Edinburgh Fringe multiple years. Mm-hmm. They made this pilot where they were kind of these time-traveling Forrest Gump types and they managed to kind of doctor themselves into this historic footage of like musical performances and then Brett would just be at the back, you know, playing drums at an Elvis concert or something. Yeah. And it looked fantastic. And so they kind of wove this narrative of, um, I think that they were, they were just silly stories of them being at a big, you know, entertainment or musical moment. I might have that slightly wrong, but it was Mm -hmm. something like that. And I've seen some footage of it and it was amazing, but it was a very expensive enterprise for, 
um, TVNZ or anyone in New Zealand, we're very risk averse to putting a big budget behind something unproven to do. So then when Flight of the Concords got the HBO show, every Kiwi was riding behind it because we had the green light from Americans mm. to be into it. Right. It's like, we can't be into something because, you know, we're New Zealanders and... But it's, if America's given it its seal of approval, we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. You know, I fucking love them. Loved them forever. Yeah, been to all their shows. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. They wouldn't have even seen them once live. But if America has, has deigned it good, then we can get them behind that. And that's something that's going now. But up until quite recently, that's how we all thought and acted. That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, in, in, in the um, I'm trying not to compare because obviously it's completely different scenes. But in the UK, you sort of, at a certain point, half expected to go well here's all my brags and here's all the things that are doing well just so that people know you know you are still working and you aren't shit we need more of it well, in new zealand uh, we, that, we need less of it so we'll trade <laughs> well, i honestly there are was, some comedians i'm like i'll take some of yours and give it to you because frankly guy guy and i um went over to the states and on a couple of different occasions and have done meetings with executives tv companies networks and stuff to try and get a pilot made mm. and the single greatest thing that I think we got out of that was was that lesson for me of like, just fucking tell people. You don't have to shy away from if you've got something cool going on. People need to know because unless you tell them, they're not going to know and then mm. they're not going to book you mm. um, or continue the conversation. Mm. So, yeah, New Zealand really, it, it is at odds with our national psyche to big ups yourself and actually name your accolades out loud to another person. But a lot of that really brushed off from the Americans when I've, when I've been over there. And I think it's a great thing. We need more of it. But like you said, meeting in the middle is probably the ideal place because the yeah. Americans won't shut up about yeah, yeah. Some, some podcast that 10 people are listening to that they're making. Completely. My favourite thing, uh, did you do gigs when you were in Adam, uh, uh, America? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Not heaps, but yeah, I've done a few. I, I love how they reel off all your, you know, like accolades before you on. go on. Yeah. I, I don't know if yours translated mine didn't like i couldn't go reading new act from 20 so i just started making up credits great because they don't do any fact checking anyway it's brilliant so i would just be like yeah i've got my own clothing line and i won edinburgh bring Perrier me a award winner yeah they don't care they just go this guy won edinburgh and he's got Hip his own clothing juggernaut. line yeah and yeah. like and then i'd come on and they'd be like okay he must be good then i guess and and I, after, every great. time i'd say to them you know you've just lied to the audience like, yeah. like i don't give a shit but you i thought you would at least google it to see if i had like you know that is very funny do it it's so much fun yeah i'm definitely gonna do that yeah, yeah. i'm sure now when I go over there again because I sort of go every two years or whatever I imagine they're going to be onto it because, because it. they probably listen to this and they'll it's be like funny though yeah I know it's just a great try, try and get away with it every time I still do I still but the thing is like I said I mean America uh, or media wise isn't massively known for fact checking but the, uh, you think their MC would just go I'll just I'll just check his website no one's got the time yeah. no I know bloody running around with their hair on fire you should try yeah. and escalate it though every gig you do and eventually oh be I was like, first comedian who set foot on the moon yeah, yeah, yeah. oh no I didn't go that far <laughs> I, did. I always tried to keep them within the realm of like actual like could be real sure just because I thought that'd be good but like yeah the biggest one was I said I had a clothing line I love it and for some reason that MC brought me on and at the end went <laughs> and he's got his own clothing line <laughs> he doesn't even fucking help he doesn't, doesn't, cottage. I know I know I was like, I don't know why you're mentioning it. Because he said, oh, well, you know, what have you done for this? And yeah. I was like, this, that, and that. And yeah. That's brilliant. So, yeah. But that was my favourite moment was I went on, I, I literally, on, my, on the walk over, I was like, I don't care if this goes badly. Yeah. I just I, feel I really good that I got him to say that. It was so, I said afterwards, you know, why is it, it's not relevant. And he was just like, well, you only gave me like three things to say about you. So I was like, 
Yeah, but you could have just said two. I mean, like, <laughs> there's rule of three, and then there's you must have worked out by this point that he's lying. But I'm going to start doing this. Do it. It's really good. It's a lot of fun. Genuinely, it's so much fun. And also, it gives you something to do before the gig, like That's when you're walking it. over there. you got to make your own fun and stand up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do, yeah. Um, okay, so your network. Is it is it like a shout-out network then to kind of support each other? Is it a, uh, you know, they come to you and you make the artwork and do the editing? Like, what's what do you actually offer for podcasts? It's different for every show. So mm. some who are, like, you know, totally technically inept, which is fine. Um, a lot of comedians are. I'll kind of sit in there and do the record and then do the edit and get it out. And um, I don't – I'm not very good at – I'm not a designer. I don't have a good eye for that stuff. So I'll find a designer and – pay them to um, get some artwork made and do all that kind of stuff and do all the editing. Some other people, um, they kind of are more technically adept so they can take care of everything and then it's just about sort of having it all under one roof um, and as you say, that sort of shout out aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've, I have I probably shouldn't keep saying this out loud but I constantly feel like there's just so much I've screwed up, haven't done correctly, opportunities, there's like a million opportunities missed and everything with doing it, um, which is true. But also, you know, there's only so many hours in the day. Mm. There's only so much you can do. I really want to get better at running the network, um, especially this year. I want to dedicate more time and, and mental energy to to putting into it because this it's just it's really fun. It's a really fun, and if I can crack the kind of economics of it, what a fun way to spend my time mm. rather than have to do something shit so that I can pay rent, so that I can do the hobby bit. Like if I can make the hobby the thing that pays the rent, mm. amazing. Although that will shift your perception on the hobby. <laughs> that is the risk. Do you know and what that's, I mean? Well, that's why you got to keep keep pushing and making it fun and making it interesting. Um, so, for example, I bought. I've, I've over the last eighteen months have been buying a lot of video cameras and teaching myself, you know, basic videography and that kind of stuff. And I really want to get into streaming this year. Mm. But not in the way that... It seems like everyone is doing gaming, mm. which is fine. I won't touch that because I know I've been a very addicted gamer in the past. Mm-hmm. I just can't. I'll play the odd... I'll get the odd, like, four-year-old game off Steam if I've got yeah. a you know, break between comedy fests. But apart from that, I really should be kept away yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> from consoles and, and gaming PCs. But um, video streaming is something I'm super interested in in a comedy mm. context. Because it doesn't feel like anyone's sort of... I keep looking for examples of the 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 show idea that's in my head because mm. I'm like, well, so, you know, obviously someone's done this, but it's like, well, they kind of haven't, and that's weird. Mm. It's so weird that there there isn't someone who's already made this show that I've got in my head. Mm-hmm. I I know exactly. What you, I mean, I I, had, I I love I love the concept of streaming because because to me it's such a. I'm not a big gamer. I like old school. I like 2D games. I don't yeah. like the 3D ones. Yeah. So for me, whenever like someone says, "Oh, have you seen?" Uh, what's his name Ninja or whatever yeah, his name PewDiePie is yeah, or, yeah who are doing like you know three hour streams on Fortnite and for some reason 80,000 people are watching it yeah I'm like I, no I haven't and I, I don't think I have the time to watch I mean it's interesting that the I mean their demographic is is young but totally. I think that's because they've got time to watch it I don't think it's because they necessarily it is mind-blowing yeah. in a way to think <laughs> it's also very funny when you think about I don't know if you've done like lots of tv stuff or whatever but the amount of time and effort and, and mm. people hours and money that goes into producing 13 minutes you mm-hmm. know a, a 15 minute show with ads yeah. that goes on the tally 
and then you've got some fucking dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who's just got a webcam on him playing a game yeah. for four hours yeah. and someone will watch the entire stream and give them a hundred bucks. Yeah. And suddenly they're a millionaire. It's like, I don't understand. No, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> Something's got wrong here. Something's broken down. This I, I genuinely was going to do, I, I was trying to work out how to do this. I was going to stream a game of Snake. I found my old Nokia 5110 and I thought, right, if I just put that on and I can find like a screen grab thing and I just play a game of Snake, just see how long I can play Snake for for hours. Well, if you got the webcam positioned, you know, a streaming cam in the right way because the the keys aren't a script, you know, it's not a touch screen. Yeah, 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 definitely. I I don't know if I'll do it, but I thought just for fun, I'd see if I just upload a 20 minute game of me playing Snake. But but would would someone watch it? That's the thing. Because you'd think. What it is, and I think this would be perfect to pair with a kind of podcast style conversation, mm. is it's like, it is that it's a very casual engagement. It's something, mm. it's it's how we used to treat television when it was mm-hmm. on in the background while you were cooking dinner or mm-hmm. doing chores or whatever. I think that's how people are treating it. They're at their computer. You can still be on, on Reddit, on Twitter, on Instagram, check your emails, whatever, mm. while you've got a stream up of mm-hmm. someone. So it's that whole second screen thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's about the conversations that happen while the stream is happening. Yeah, totally. And Snake would be perfect for that. It's like the yeah. old, we are now old men, which is terrifying. It's like the yeah. old man version of new media is, yeah. is you know, live streaming. You, you trying to beat your high schooler and snake while talking about the news of the day or whatever. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll get a load of nostalgic thirty-plus-year-olds. Yeah. Just what, and also, also, this is the thing I thought about with this, and this is such a stupid thing. But you know, when you get so invested in a game of snake, even though it's n- worth nothing really, but like, I imagine after maybe five minutes of them doing it, they're not likely to click off because if you've got a really <laughs> long snake That's that true. you're just like you're just like doing that. Yeah. I don't know what it's called, but that tactic where you just go up one. Yeah, yeah, and like, yeah. And you go you kind across. of make the brick wall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. I'd, I'd be like, oh, oh, don't, no, 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 no. Yeah, like, yeah, it'd yeah. be so much fun to just. And also, like, I'd probably like get to like 20 minutes and just go, fuck it. And just like go straight into a wall just to piss off all the reviews. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. well, You've got to see how it plays out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I'm, I might try it. But I, I just thought, wouldn't it be fun to just get like something stupid that's so low at the other end than, than Fortnite? Very worst idea way of thinking exactly exactly um okay so uh you, you talked about budgets on tv shows hmm. and i'm gonna check my notes again because okay, sure. i remember there were two shows that you 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 have on your website that you said you made for no money oh there was the tv political chat chat show banter oh yeah yeah and there was the fuck it list yeah um how do you make that with no money? Uh, well, no money might be a slight exaggeration, but close to. <laughs> uh, well, the fuck it list was made on no money. I've 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 produced a couple of other shows as well. The fuck it list. Um, it. I mean, I just tried to help out as I could, and I think there was. We all actually put a little bit of money in to make it to make it work, but I was essentially producing just producing that. I directed a couple episodes, and I um I was a writer, like a, I'd say, an equal parts writer. But th- those were my two mates, Liz and Chelsea, um, who are both just sensationally funny and actors and wanted to make this thing. And I was like, fuck yeah. And also, you know, um, without, you know, sounding the horn too hard, but I'm always attracted to projects that are female-led as well, just because there is less of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially being able to have what has been traditionally quite a male thing of that nerd aspect of like, knowing the techie bits mm-hmm. of, of, of camera and sound and editing and that sort of stuff to, to put some of the pieces together um, for other people. And um, 
so we definitely made that for no money. We tried to chase some. I'm trying to remember. We might have gotten like a couple thousand that we could pay to like people to help us with lighting and sound. Mm-hmm. But there was really people just helping us for nothing. And we scripted it for nothing. And then we put some of our own money in to get it across the line. And we're in the middle bit. Are you enjoying the pod? I am loving it. In the second half, we got into Flight of the Concords and breakout acts from New Zealand and how they managed to do that, along with DIY tips for creating your audience both on and offline. We're still in lockdown, or we are when I'm recording this, so I've got to eat. I mean, I've got to eat even when we're not in lockdown, but uh, right now it's even harder. So uh, here's your mid-roll ad. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And we're back. Did you get an advert? If you didn't, it means I got paid nothing to put this podcast together. If you did, it means I got about 20p for all this hard work. So if you're enjoying this and you want to support the show, there is a PayPal link in the show notes for a one-off donation. And there's also a Patreon link if you want to start supporting the podcast in an ongoing capacity from $1. That's 80p. Unless the pound has crashed and it is worth even less now. Let's dive back in. So that's how that one worked. And then we just gave it essentially to TVNZ for very little money just so they could host it on their streaming service. Right. Um, and how did, you, how did you get it on that streaming service? Just approached them and we're like, it's already made. Do you want it for essentially nothing? Right. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, yeah sure. Because then it kind of has this glow of well, it's on a platform now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what did you – sorry, before you move on to the other yeah. one. What um, – what were you getting out of that then? Like, what? How did that help your career? Did it? Did it attract more people to work with you or with no, them? No, I just wanted to make it. It just was because they're my mates, you know, and yeah, it yeah. was a cool idea. And I was like, "This is really funny and and awesome." Mm. That's it. That's why I'm so broke because that's <laughs> my rationale for getting involved with most stuff that I've mm-hmm. done up until now. Um, it's just like, nah, this is great. Like, I would love for this to exist, and mm-hmm. if there's some way that I could help it exist eventually, then I would love to to be a part of that. Same. Yeah. I, I have a similar, I have a similar mental, it's the reason why I want to start a network and get more, yeah. you know, because the amount of people I know who keep going, oh, but I don't really know how this, you know. I was, it's I, not that hard as well. The barrier to entry for podcasts, you know. 
It, it, well, the, Once the, you know, I guess. Yeah, that's the thing. That's something I, I, I was meeting with a friend of mine who I'll keep nameless because I don't know if she wants to be named on this, but um, she bought all the equipment and was like, it just seems so overwhelming. And we sat down and we like, I showed her how to hit record and like how to move the, you know, the SD card over because she was like, I've never really used SD cards before and all this sort of stuff. And it was, and it was really interesting because it made me go back to when I started in podcasting and I, like I said, I had a computer science background, so I had at least a... Standing a, from a good base. Exactly. But equally... Oh, I learnt loads from the first five episodes of oh, audio. Hell yeah. Yeah. Oh, the first, yeah. If you listen to the first couple episodes of the worst, or well, the first season, really, but yeah, particularly yeah. the first couple of Worst Idea, oh, man. Mm. Audio quality at an all time low. Oh, yeah. I always apologize. If someone says, oh, I've just listened to the first episode, I'm like, I am sorry. I, I genuinely. It's part of the charm. It's part of the mm. charm of this chaotic medium. I kind of love it. You say that, I, I just apologise. As long as you learn and eventually fix the problem, but I, I genuinely, oh, yeah. I just, I love that shambolic nature of podcasting. Same, but I still feel bad. <laughs> I still Fair feel like enough. I owe people to, do not go back and download the first episode. <laughs> if I get a spike in the first episode, after, you know what's going to happen like a thousand people are going to go, just download just, it a day. Just a spike. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna be, oh, now I've got to apologise again. So, so, so what, and with the other one, what happened money-wise with that? Banter was a very different story, and that wasn't for no money. I was definitely mm. getting paid for that. That was um, a TVNZ uh, TV show that actually was on a broadcast channel in mm-hmm. New Zealand that they own called Duke, which is a male-skewed channel. And that was in the lead-up to the last election in New Zealand. It, it, it sort of – that was a little bit accidental, but it turned quite political just because they got me to host it. But they wanted to make <laughs> – they wanted to make a New Zealand version of – like, uh, uh, what's Trevor Noah's show called? Oh, uh, that John Stewart used to host. I don't know. They're all called Daily, Daily. Daily. Yeah, that's yeah, the Daily Show. I've right? never yeah. seen it. I don't know. So yeah. they they wanted to make a New Zealand version of the Daily Show, but also definitely not pay to make a New yeah. Zealand version of the yeah. Daily Show. And it's so funny that even you know, TV commissioners and executives and stuff, people who are making television, just have no concept that those American chat shows employ mm-hmm. 30 full-time people, mm-hmm. 12 writers who are there every day, punching up jokes, getting clips, making the scripts work, getting research to the host. Mm-hmm. It was so, It's just so funny what the, the result they think they can get from just completely ignoring the input that goes mm-hmm. into the American chat shows. So I'm saying this sort of couch how shit the show was. Well, I was um, going to say they've probably just been watching streamers going, well, look how much they can do. Well, I, <laughs> I think the guy in particular, I won't name him, um, he was looking at The Daily Show. And he's a, he's a lovely dude, great guy. But it's just like you can't get that result without with fronting 1% of mm-hmm, the budget. Mm-hmm. So, for example, it was a live broadcast television show purely because that was a cheaper way to make it. And that's for, I am actually very excited by live TV. So I, was, I leaned into that. I was like, great. People could say crazy shit on this and there's no way to stop them. That's mm. quite exciting to mm-hmm. me. But I have to admit, I was very, very frustrated by the lack of resources to put a show together on that thing. It was a panel show, so we generally, I would host, we would have a comedian on the panel, usually like one politician and one other sort of a media commentator or something like that, and we'd look at the news of the day, I would do a monologue, which I would write myself and do the graphics for and stuff, and yeah, it was literally just me and a producer putting the show together all the time, and Mm. I... I I would have been a fucking nightmare to work with <laughs> because I was just constantly super stressed. It was my first kind of proper gig in TV. 
Um, I was fronting the show, but just the fact that it was very visible that the product that was going out and there was just no infrastructure to help make it good. Mm-hmm. And it looked shoddy too. The lighting was bad. The cameras we were using were not top notch. They were like entry level cameras. Mm. Everything just looked very amateurish, which you can lean into mm-hmm. and make that a feel of the show, which I love. Mm-hmm. Make something that looks like it's Wayne's World filmed in a garage. Yeah, yeah. But you've got the leader of the opposition party on the couch with you. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. But if you were cutting this line of we're attempting to make the daily show on 1% of the budget, you're just going to fail. Mm-hmm. So we did some cool stuff on there on the show. Like I'm proud of the work that we we made and that, and that got out. And I'm proud of the stuff, um, yeah, that people that we had on, the conversations we had. But I do kind of bemoan the fact that it could have been a lot better than it was. Mm. And as a result, it lasted for one season. Never heard back from anyone after that last day. Just mm. like, see you, Tim. All right, cool. <laughs> Catch you at the next whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, New Zealand's got a terrible habit of making one season of stuff. As in like just budget stops or people stop paying interest or? For some reason in New Zealand, we believe, and this never happens anywhere in the world, least of all here, that people will crack onto a show after the first few episodes. Right. And if that doesn't happen, they pull the plug. It is bizarre. It mm. is repeated all the time. Um, and any show really in New Zealand that has done well, there was some accident mm. for it having a se- being forced into having two or three seasons up mm-hmm. front that the network had to weather. And then people got into it. Shortland Street is a great example. That's a national institution in New Zealand. It's been going for 20 years. It has produced thousands of episodes. It's a hospital drama, Mm -hmm. um, soap opera. And they committed to doing, I think, three seasons at the top. And it fucking... Everyone hated it when it started. Hated it. But as they got used to this idea of seeing New Zealand characters with New Zealand accents on the screen at 7 o'clock at night every night, and they got invested in the characters and the storylines because they were forced to, it became this juggernaut. And that show is like really single-handedly responsible for anyone knowing how to edit Mm. a show, um, operate a camera, do proper sound. All these things grow up in an industry as a result. Mm. But without it being forced to do its two or three seasons up front, it never would have happened. It, it's really odd because being podcasters, I know that, you know, you might get one lucky episode very early on, but really it builds. And so yeah. for them to think, oh, if you don't, if they don't like it in episode two, they're not going to like episode 30. Television is so expensive to make. Uh, no, Okay. I'm aware that, like you said, we can sit down here. We could leave now and another podcast crew could just come and sit down yeah. and then it's just hit record, go. Yeah. Like, it, it, I mean, obviously there's slight differences here and there, but really, you know, we're, we're not being recorded uh, visually. Totally. There's no lighting needed or, totally. or any of that sort of stuff. So I'm understanding that it's a different medium and there's more but I actually, to do. I kind of mean that and you're totally right. I sort of mean it in the opposite way though in that if you're going to spend all that money to create oh, yeah, the yeah, thing yeah, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. first instance you got to give it a chance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do two seasons yeah, of yeah, something. Yeah. Right? Or just one longer season. Yeah, yeah. Or do you not do long... We do We do quite short seasons in the UK. Yeah, really short like, seasons. Yeah, like yeah. six episodes. So do you do short ones as well? Mm, well, it depends on the project. Every, okay. Everything, it seems to me, um, that's getting funded at the moment is, is sort of webisodes. We have like a couple of huge drama productions that soak up all the funding and then mm-hmm. everything else is a web series. And web series vary so much. Mm. Some of them it's like 
you know, 20 seasons in a, uh, 20 episodes in a season. Sometimes it's like four. So, so you've, you've kind of embraced the on-demand and web series stuff quite heavily as a country. Uh, yes. We've embraced it in as much as we're making quite a lot of it. And I don't think we're quite at the point yet of nailing how to market it to, <laughs> yeah. to audiences. It's a really hard problem and it'll mm. take time. And we're getting better, but right now it's still early days. Okay, I get that. I think I think because we we obviously have quite a lot of on demand channels uh, for well, so on demand players for all of our channels in the UK, as well as Netflix and Sky and all the usual shit. But I think they're all missing a trick. I think it's about conversation. I think none of them are really offering you that. You know, you can put a thumbs up and a thumbs down, but that doesn't tell you anything. Yeah. And I think as long as they had spoiler free. You know, because you don't want to do that, that you could actually kind of, not reviews as such, but just actual conversation. Yeah. Because the amount of times, you know, I think that's why podcasts do better sometimes, because you can have a Facebook group or a Twitter feed or something where there's a dialogue. And really... It's how people are using Twitter now for big television events, like a finale or or whatever, is, yeah, people will jump on and have that conversation. So if you can bake that into a platform, yeah, you're dead right. The, the BBC's got the benefit, of course, of being able to have so much pooled resource from its different channels that mm-hmm. it can actually afford to code a good app and yeah. web player. And we don't have that luxury in New Zealand. So it's only recently that our media players actually fucking work. Mm, really <laughs> you know, well. Quite, truly. Like, I'm barely exaggerating. MediaWorks in particular, which is a company that owns... Um, as I say, it's a duopoly, so they're like 50% of the TV market. They've been in constant financial trouble for the last 12 years, and they just don't have money to invest in making a proper player. So mm. it's only the last 18 months that their one kind of worked reliably. <laughs> but you, that's so that's so odd, because I know. you'd think that's a big part of their business model. You would think. Attention is like the, the only currency now, because there's so much content. And like you said, there's only a certain amount of hours in the day when someone picks your thing to listen. Thank you, by the way. When someone <laughs> picks your thing to listen to, you've got to remember, fuck me, that, you know, there's a billion other options out there. Totally. So that that's so odd that they wouldn't... Inv- like, I would even go... I would go as far as to say, let's go into debt a bit to make that work. <laughs> they are in an obscene amount of debt. Oh, let's my- go to more the, debt. The, <laughs> co- the company literally... I mean, this is getting a bit sort of into the weeds, but they... MediaWorks sold... It's television division this mm-hmm. year, uh, end of last year, and mm. they can't find a buyer for it. Oh, wow. It's so underwater with debt. Yeah, yeah. It's mad. That is mad. Um, what, is, what is your relationship like with social media? Toxic. So, really? Oh, so you're on Twitter. See? I am on Twitter. <laughs> My relationship is very different to what it used to be. I, If I didn't need Facebook for my job, which is comedy, I'd be off it. And Completely. I th- that's a lot of comedians, I yeah. think, are in that boat now. Do you know how many times I... So I've been doing interviews around the place and they've gone, oh, what do you want? And I've said literally the same two sentences over and over again. I've said, one, I want to be able to delete all my social media channels and oh, have a mailing list. That'd be great. That's it. That'd be so great. And two, I want to be well-known in enough so that my criticisms are taken seriously and not being just dismissed as being jaded like do you know do you know what i mean like whenever yeah. you say something negative about someone who's further up than you everyone goes it's just because you didn't get it yeah, and it's like right. can i not have an opinion yeah that yeah. isn't just you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah i totally agree mm. i use twitter a lot twitter i don't mind twitter i'm enjoying but i'm probably addicted to it realistically mm-hmm. instagram i've had my spells of being on that too much and i've really just very naturally completely lost interest in it as a platform mm-hmm. myself i just i don't know there's there's 
I don't have a lot of free time, I guess, to do that kind of stuff. I don't drive, so I'm on public transport a bit, so I do podcasts and Twitter. Mm. But I don't know, just scrolling through pictures doesn't super appeal to me. You got to keep up on it as a mm. comedian. You got to have a presence on these platforms, mm-hmm. um, you know, to sell tickets and stuff. So, so that is what it is. And there's nice applications of it, you know, capturing significant life moments and treating it as a photo album for years down the track is nice. But I am. It, you will know this as, as as a person who knows a bit about computers and follows tech news and stuff. Like, infinitely skeptical of mm-hmm. all of they're all fucking evil. Yep, and they're trying to turn our brains into um, a mush that they can squeeze for money somehow. Mm-hmm. And I think this will become increasingly public over time. But we really need to push the movement of not consuming the content that is pushed into us by the algorithms and the streams. Mm. We need to be way more intentional about how we use the internet and social media platforms. And like, it used to be back in the day, the internet was really big, had a lot of shit on it, and you went, I'm going online to find this. Mm -hmm. And now you just log on for no reason to something, and you're like, what have you got for me, internet? Mm -hmm. And that's a super bad, dangerous position that we've put ourselves in. Yeah, no, no, I, I... Facebook's the worst for that, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, Instagram's going that way because now they own it. Yeah. Twitter. I had a, I saw I had a really good interview with um, uh, Jack Dorsey from Twitter. Did you talk to Jack Dorsey? No, no, not me. Oh, uh, not me. Oh God, no. <laughs> a, what? He doesn't reply to my tweets. I tell you now, every day I'm like, come on, dude. No, no, no. I I heard a gotcha. really good interview, and he was saying uh, the one thing we're most proud of at Twitter is that we don't fuck with your. Like, so the tweets that come up are in the order that you, they come out in. We add in... Is that true? Well, this is the thing. I, I don't know. I don't think that's you'll true never anymore. Know, but, well, no, this interview was only like two, three months. It was just at the end of last year. Right. So it wasn't that long ago. Well, like, but, I, for example, I'm getting tweets but, sent on my timeline for people I don't follow. Well, no, this is the thing. So, 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 okay. He said, he said, right. So he, he was very selective in his words. He said, the tweets that come up are what you followed and they are in the order they are. The only thing is, is that we want you to discover more things. So what we do is, obviously, we have the promoted tweets, which we will pay for. But equally, if you're if your follower or the people you're following aren't tweeting enough, we add in things they're liking. You know, they're hearting. So, so that's algorithmic selection by funny words, though. You know, but equally, it is it is things that you might be interested in through like third third what's it called like degrees of separation sure so i think it's better than facebook where it is literally just whatever ad has the most money and it comes up on your timeline but equally i know i'm defending it i I, I hear what you're saying but i i I still think it's shitty i think that i truly think that's the same uh facebook are worse but i think that is describing the the same thing that facebook it's different by degrees not by kind i get what you're saying no no i get what you're saying I guess, we I guess don't, we don't any anymore get to choose what our timelines look like. No, we, we can steer them. Yeah, yeah, but really, we're not in it's charge up of to the, the companies. Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. I and I'm not defending it. I'm more of a fan of Twitter than any of the other platforms. But it's, uh, yeah, I just I don't like that it's become a place where people go. Well, here's my opinion. Oh, you disagree? Block like that. That's not the point of Twitter. Was to have a conversation, and and an entire generation of Twitter have mistaken a gener- uh, have mistaken a conversation for a dictatorship. And frankly, that drives me insane because it means you can't actually. I am with you to a point because I think I used to subscribe to that idea a lot more than I do now, mm. and having been a little bit more exposed to what. Uh, some people who put themselves out there, particularly part of whatever minority group it is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the fucking toxic abuse oh, that yeah. gets thrown their way. And just, I can't, I truly, like, I'm pretty thin-skinned. I can't imagine the emotional and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and 
damage to one's psyche of just being bombarded with that shit day after oh, day. Completely. Yeah, we've, yeah. We've got um there's a politician in New Zealand, part of a member of our parliament called Gauris Goramand, and she is our f- I think first ever refugee p- a member of parliament and she's she's pretty fantastic and she's really smart and she's very vocal and she's very liberal and as a result the comments that get directed you know at her account are just fucked mm. and so i t- i totally hear what you're saying that a balance does need to be struck and i think especially on the left people can tend to be incredibly dismissive mm-hmm. of any opposing view mm-hmm. and will out and out block you know something that yeah. contravenes what they think it will say but i also acknowledge that there's there's some people who are just being exposed to relentless abuse and that block tool is a great uh, thing for them i'm not saying get rid of the block tool i've used the block tool i'm i'm more on board with the block tool i just feel like the the you can't change someone's mind by blocking them. And if anything, what you do is you polarise it more. And in the UK in particular, Brexit proved a very good point that we are a very polarised country. And I think the problem is that there's no there's no actual conversation happening. Mm. And I don't know what it's like out here, but where I'm from, the biggest problem I have is that, you know, uh, putting a Yas Queen post out is what I call it. You know, like, if you're just putting out, like, I believe this and waiting for everyone to go Yas Queen it was it really worth posting because it's it's you know it's uniting your base but your base is now pushing out people who maybe want to go well hang on hang on okay because here's the problem it's all in the same font so as a result you take everything at the same level you know so like if for example people who you weren't following came up in comic sans or something like you might go (laughs) you know you might go okay well maybe they're just maybe they're genuinely inquiring or maybe because whenever i have whenever i want to say something and ask a question i have to start with genuine question colon and then yeah. like write something out because otherwise they think i'm trying to antagonize yeah and i'm i'm genuinely pretty much not unless it's like someone who is being a dick like being sexist or transphobic or whatever mm. i will genuinely just fuck with them because they're being shit yeah but other than that i just i'm like no if you if you posted something and i go well hang on okay well when i was growing up or something like that sure can we have a chat yeah and then they just block you and I, and I find that, I understand that maybe I'm in between like 50, you know, completely abhorrent tweets. It's a bit like on Tinder. My, my friend let me use her Tinder feed, not Tinder, um, uh, Tinder app, because she got bored of it. And she went, find me someone, I can't be bothered. And I, and I was reading the inbox and I was like, okay, um, I'm going to leave Tinder myself now because I'm between one guy's dick pic and yeah. one guy I want to fuck. Yeah. And no matter how much I start with, hey, I read your profile, and it would, they, they're not going to be in the mood to hear that comment. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It like fills your... 100%. Yeah. And I think that, you know, particularly dudes like us, you know, white kind of middle class 30-year-old-ish dudes need to be mindful that people are living an online life and experience very differently oh, to yes. us. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm aware of this completely, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I, you know. But, but I, the, the, what you're bringing, like, you, you know, I think we're totally on the same page with the point that you're making, which is where do these conversations happen? Mm-hmm. Like in, in 2020, where, where can you genuinely come together with people who in earnest have a different political viewpoint from mm-hmm. you, but genuinely want some more information about where you're coming from and would mm. like to have a conversation about where they are coming from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, those, those spaces are really hard to find. Oh, I yeah. don't really know where they are. <laughs> no, I've I've not found. I mean, I, and that's a huge issue. That's a really, yeah. really big problem. Yeah, they need like a Reddit AMA, but like, well, there was like ask a ask a Trump supporter. There's there's subs like that yeah, where, you, yeah. where it's a jet, like the whole thing is set up to be a genuine mm-hmm. um, back and forth and and good faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, as I say, they're pretty few and far between. Completely, completely. Um, 
I'm going to do the last quick fire questions. Sure. So they're, they're quick fire for me. You you take as long as you would like to answer them. Um, so let's start with who was the first person to believe in you? Mum. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I normally would ask what they've done for you, but I think it's pretty obvious at this point. <laughs> um, what's one unpopular opinion you have about the comedy industry? Oh, uh, is this unpopular? I this is don't know if anyone find this interesting. I think maybe people should be prepared to put video out a little bit earlier of themselves doing stand-up than what we're used to at the moment. It's a very old-school view that, uh, you know, you've got to retire your jokes online. So, you do, you know, mm-hmm. you develop a joke for three or four years, you tour it, you, you do your big festival show that's got it in it, mm-hmm. and then to, you know, put the joke to bed, you put it online. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I agree with that. And I think there's probably room for people to hear a joke on stage that they may have seen online if it's a particularly good one. Mm-hmm. Not the whole freaking show. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think there's probably been an oversensitivity to people hearing a joke that they mm. have seen online. No, I get that. Um, a lot of comedians would say they're comedians, but their uh, bank manager mm. might describe them differently because they make money more <laughs> elsewhere. Yeah. How would you describe yourself? According to my tax return. And how would your bank manager describe you? Probably a podcaster, to be honest. Okay. Yeah. And and you but you both you would describe yourself as that and your bank manager would describe you as that? Yeah, I would describe myself as a comedian. I think right. by by the bank statements I would probably be a podcaster. Okay. Yeah. Um what's the biggest mistake you've ever made and how did you overcome it? I really don't like to dwell on mistakes. So there isn't one that's in my head because I don't <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't engage with that kind of stuff often. I've got a really big thing that I don't like having regrets. Like I, it tr- they, they really, they send me to a very dark space. Mm-hmm. So I've tried, you know, over time since really I was a teenager to not have regrets. And part of not having regrets is not doing the stupid thing in the first place. So I do tend, to, not solely, I've, I've fucked up heaps of times, but mm-hmm. I try to think about the consequences of what I'm going to do up front. Mm-hmm. Biggest mistake. Ah. Oh. I don't know. I'm making lots of little mistakes all the time. Um, I've, 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 I've fucked up in relationships, but then you, own, I've owned it up to it. Mm. Yeah, you just got to front up. Yeah, yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think is the most underrated person in, let's say, podcasting? <laughs> oh man, that is a diabolical question. Can I open I'll my podcast? Save as well. Yeah. Oh, well, actually, I'll tell you. And I, maybe it can't they're, be you. <laughs> maybe they're more famous than I'm given credit for. But Jeremy Scahill from The Intercept, um, who does the Inter- uh, I think the podcast is called Intercepted. It's a news outlet. Oh, actually, beyond that, um, is your name? Is it Amy Goodman? I think that's her name. I, I might just double check that. These are two very left progressive journalists um, from the states. And in the case of Amy Goodman, she is like. She's quite old. She's a stalwart. She um, does a, a daily news show um, every single day that gets put out. Oh, wow. And she's like, she's been a lifelong war activist. She um, really champions uh, Democracy Now! is the name of the show. Um, really champions minorities all around the world. <laughs> so I thought you said, it was the way you said she really champions Democracy Now! <laughs> democracy Now! <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, don't we all? <laughs> that's, uh, that, that's the name of the show if you want to look it up. But it's, it's just a news show, so it won't be for everyone. But yep. she has that organization, which I believe she co-founded, just has an incredible 
ethos of diligence to the truth mm-hmm. um, and covering shit that the major networks aren't covering. And Jeremy Scahill is a little bit different. He, he, I first got onto him because he made a documentary called Dirty Wars, which if you can track it down, I highly recommend. Sort of at a film festival a few years ago. And he is a journalist who does a lot of like war reporting, American politics, um, corruption, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Glenn Greenwald was the guy who first brought, um, uh, shit, what's his name? Uh, the whistleblower, Ed Snowden. Snowden, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Glenn Greenwald was the journalist who Ed Snowden first went to to, to make blow that all up at the guardian and then mm-hmm. glenn greenwald left and started the intercept with some other people and i think jeremy scale who was there at the start as well and jeremy hosts um intercepted which is a really good podcast right. I, will, I will be looking up democracy now that it ain't like funny my... though if you're into funny stuff wait, wait, i'm wait, a wait. terrible person to ask this is it hang on this might not one? be it no that's the wrong one i, was looking... I think it's that one, is it that one? no oh that one was that's appropriate but not the, the... hang on <laughs> There oh, we go, nice, got it. nice. <laughs> Slightly insultingly sarcastic, isn't it? <laughs> it? It hurts. I won't lie. Oh, is it how it long, sucks. How long does it go on for? <laughs> <laughs> like uh, the end. <sighs> it's the worst laugh of all time. That in the very end, bad, very backhand laughter. Um, last question: If you could go back to any point in your career and give yourself one bit of advice, what would it be and when? Um, I think. Weirdly, it wouldn't be at the start. It would be f- about four years ago or so. And, and it's just like fucking focus on the writing. <laughs> like f- like pay attention to your writing and punch up the jokes and make them snappy. And I've only sort of in the last few years really put more of a spotlight on that. And because I've been teaching stand-up recently and I'm critiquing other people's mm-hmm. writing, it is bleeding so much into me, mm. casting such a sharp eye over my jokes and they've really improved as a result mm. i'm really getting rid of extraneous stuff so yeah just fucking pay attention my dude write out the stuff you're performing look at it in the cold light of a cafe somewhere and see what could be funny or what could be ditched amazing well thank you very much for coming on a pleasure cheers simon that was tim hearing about the new zealand scene and how much he learned from doing shows in america i'm currently agent hunting and trying to get my ideas seen more by commissioners and firstly if you are listening and you'd like to hear some of my ideas and you're someone in a position that could get them made uh, there's an email uh, in the show notes please drop me a line i'd love to send you some information and two you should brag i agree with him uh, not to you know get annoying but you should definitely tell people who you are and let them know to quote comedy lounge you're not shit i definitely learned a lot about me and about the way i sell myself and the way that i put myself forward and present myself by going to another country and having to do that fresh so um i think it's i think it's a good thing always to go and and learn from other cultures and other countries and and really push yourself outside your comfort zone so if you can and we're not in lockdown definitely look into doing some festivals a little bit further afield than you're used to doing if you like this episode you might also enjoy the episode with andrew doyle on um, woke culture and freedom of speech and comedy phil jupitus in his change in life from being on Nevermind the buzzcocks to being a stand-up comedian and father and the way that that's impacted on his audience and jeremy dyson on how to build a career as a script editor and film writer thank you very much for listening the rc industry podcast is a fruit that got in gravity's way production for the internet all elements are created by me comedian simon kane if you can i'd really appreciate a donation there's paypal for one-off and there's patreon for ongoing 
and if not a review uh, would be great or you can join the facebook group thank you very much for listening thank you very much for subscribing thank you very much for rating and donating if you do stay safe i'll see you all in about 14 days time bye planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.